Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome back to Bitches on Comics, your friend and mine, your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast, actually. And I am here to announce, very pleased to announce that this is the reunion of Sarah Century and S.E. Fleenor because they have been moving. I had to move. And so we haven't been on a podcast together for some time. So uh, I did kind of just let the cat out of the bag as far as who else is here, <laughs> I guess. But, um, you know, we're in that, no cats um, in bags uh, environment. We don't put cats in bags. So it was the right move to let the cat out of the bag because that's pretty. That, you're right. Well, my you know what? But sometimes you have it. to because, you know, you have so many. Uh, the other yeah. fun thing. Is, oh, hi. It's S.A. Flanor. Uh, the other fun thing for both uh, Sarah and I is we both moved with, I believe, seven pets each. Oh my. So we like to keep it easy, you know, <laughs> keep it light and breezy. Um, <laughs> they screamed the whole time. They just well, screamed. You, uh, listeners might know that I adopted some of the bunnies that Sarah's adopted bunnies had. She didn't know that her bunny was pregnant. And then her bunny was like, here are more bunnies. And Sarah was like, well, this is this is not great. And so we adopted the bunnies <laughs> and we love them. They're our angels. But they... We're so mad because we drove them cross country in an RV because how else am I going to get three dogs, four <laughs> rabbits and two humans across from Colorado to Vermont? And they would just like sit in their little cove and like thump. They'd be like, thump. I'm so mad at you. Thump, thump. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the thump. thump. It's like, it's actually really loud. I mean, I, I love it. I'm like, read me, read me for filth, little bunny. You're right. I did put you in an RV. <laughs> We did hit a pothole outside of Chicago <laughs> that scared the shit out of all of us, but we made it. We made it. Now we're in Vermont. Okay, well, that's a yeah. tangent, but hello, everyone. I can't believe I'm back here with my my bestie, Sarah. It has been too freaking long, and I can't believe we get to come together for such a fucking cool reason. Today, we have the lovely Joey Capuana here with us talking about they're amazingly cool, queer, trans, and witchy as fuck comic trance. Joey, welcome to the pod. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so happy to be here too. Yay! Will you go ahead and just give it give our our listeners a quick and dirty on the the Joey Capuana experience, as I guess I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Joey Capuana <laughs> experience. Yes, I am a TV writer and now comic book author. Um, my first comic book series is called Trance, um, which I'm here to talk about today, which was just published in June by Scout Comics and Simon and & Schuster. And um, it's super witchy and fun and cool. I um, mostly have worked in the TV space before that. Um, and yeah, I, I grew up in the Jersey Shore, sort of amongst like a toxic machismo world that I would often run away from and um, into like comic books and video games and um, fantasy land. So now I get to do that for a living, which is amazing. 
I think that's highly relatable as Sarah and I both in different corners of the world turned to nerddom to to find ourselves. I know for Sarah, it was uh, early on X-Men, the actual comics, whereas I was like the animated series. I would say I was like, I was a... um a Batman TAS fan as well. Uh, so, you know, I like to keep, uh, you know, back then I was like into the animated side of things. Yes, me too. I grew up like, yeah, Saturday morning cartoons. I like ate that shit up. I was very much um, obsessed with like, yeah, all the animated superheroes, definitely Batman, definitely X-Men, definitely. Um, yeah. Spider-Man also like that whole thing. I, and then I didn't read the comics necessarily. I, I didn't start reading comics fully until like high school but I would like occasionally pick up a comic here and there when I was younger and I definitely read like every Wikipedia article about like every Marvel character just so that I like <laughs> was aware of like what happened in the universe um but without reading the comics that's so I was, real like, knew all the arts yeah <laughs> I think that's part of it though that was kind of it whenever I was a kid was the X-Men comics really just drop you in and honestly the animated series does too where they're just like you know, it's. I still am always surprised when I watch it, just being like, how did they fit all of these random characters in? Because you'll be having just some regular old story, <laughs> I guess. And then in the background, there's like Maverick from the Weapon X program or like, you know, some of the new mutants off to the side or something. And you're like, they really weren't afraid to just be like, figure it out, <laughs> like drop you in and be like, figure and it out. And we did. Go. <laughs> We and were resource, we did. Resourceful nerds, yes. We found ourselves. That's it. And I think, like, too, with like queer stuff, right? A lot of times you're like filling in blanks anyway because you're like, here's the story that I think would be good <laughs> in the comics. And sometimes that's not quite how it works out. I mean, you know, God bless like all of the comics. But it's always like whatever you're like making it up, like you're kind of making up other people, like all of these characters' stories because you don't totally know what their backstories are yet. And that part totally, really definitely. Too. I mean, that, that's the best thing about X Men is that you like don't even have to like make it super gay because it already is super gay. And like the like <laughs> yeah. you know growing up, I mean, when the first X Men movie came out, um, I was like obsessed and literally like watched it like during sleepovers, like constantly. And um, I think like everybody my age, like was, you know, interested because it was like, cool, like PG-13, we weren't quite 13 yet. And like the special effects were awesome, but like, yeah, definitely on a deeper level, like as a queer person, there's such like this message of like, you know, it's so much about people who are outside of the norm and obviously are like, prejudiced against and like fighting bigotry but also like saving the world so yeah i love those i love those x-men and always will well just ian mcclellan sitting there with with mystique being like <laughs> oh my god in like the third yeah, one where he's like <laughs> you go ahead sweetie you're like you know I what mean, that's the gayest thing i've ever seen mystique is also just yeah so iconic and like oh. I feel like so much a part of like so many queer people's sexuality it's like I mean also the idea yeah. power of like being able to like turn into other people like obviously is so appealing when you're like this like closeted scared <laughs> little kid and you're like I wish I could just go and be somebody else and then like you know, have sex with someone I want to and then come back to my normal life. <laughs> yes, it's, I think too, for like the gender weird, the trans and non-binary of us, it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, like 
I don't think one form fits the totality of who I am. Like, oh, any shape shifting. Ooh, give me a, give me a werewolf. Give me a whatever. I love it. I'm here for all the shape shifting. I'm like, ooh, all very trans. Sign me up. (laughs) I was going to say that everybody who was surprised about Iceman coming out in like 2015 or whatever clearly didn't watch the movies because in the movies, Iceman has so much chemistry. With oh, right. Oh, my God. Right. And the he's like, time they're having like this like love triangle between like Rogue and Kate and Bobby. And you're just like, OK, sure, this is fun. But then every time Pyro is around, Bobby's like, all worked up and just like every time I see this guy I just get all emotional and you're just, just wanna, like oh. I just want to hit his face oh my with God. my lips I bet Bobby's gay the fan fiction. I know I'm Bobby's gay um I know I imagine the fan fiction of that um era of, of, of X2 would have been juicy I didn't I was never I was always I was lurking in like Dragon Ball Z fan fiction that's where I was <laughs> Goku and Vegeta were like kissing all the time in my mind <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Of course, that's that's what we're that's what we live for is the canonical kissing that is canon <laughs> inside our hearts. It's in it's canon in my heart. Okay. Yes, I mean honestly, that's why I wanted to write trans and like make a super gay comic book. It's because I want to see. I don't want to have to just rely on the fan fiction for all the um, gay romance or whatever. So I am so excited that I got to like publish a book with an entirely gay cast of characters and like put them into this like fun genre supernatural world um yeah i mean it just means so much to me like the little kid in me uh being able to do this well i think that's a perfect segue thank you for doing our job for us love it (laughs) um you know i I really do want to talk about something that i think sarah and i've talked about in a lot of episodes that i always find so rich which is when you have metaphorical queerness and explicit queerness, and you kind of lay them one on top of the other, which is what you're doing in trans, right? We've got these queer and trans people who are running a nightclub. They are fabulous, hot, you know, just sexy as get the fuck out of here. And then, oh, it turns out they're also in this coven. And so they have this identity as witches, but it's an identity they have to keep secret at least to some degree, you know, at least in the, 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 the issue we've seen, it is implied there is some secrecy there. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, what do you think we get out of trance from having both layers, the explicit queerness and the metaphorical queerness that we don't get with one or the other? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the explicit queerness is so important because it's so important to be able to see yourselves represented in media and in stories and growing up as like a lover of the genre, you know, the supernatural and like superhero genre and always never really seeing myself or just seeing like a tokenized sort of like one-off gay character, whatever. Um, I feel like it's so important to see an entirely queer cast um, as diverse as the group in trans so that, you know, it's like, yeah, you can be queer and also be, this lead in this like supernatural Nancy Drew superhero story. I think that's, and it also just lends itself for like so many explicitly queer storylines and just storylines about like love and friendship um, with queer heroes, which I think is so just crucial in across all genres. And then like the, the metaphor of like the, yeah, like these are, there is still like, yeah, I guess this positive aspect of them, like secretly being witches. I, 
think as queer, as a queer person, like I'm always writing about secrets and like um, characters with like dual identities and like sort of hiding part of themselves. That was definitely a big part of my upbringing was sort of repressing the lots of myself that like I didn't think I could be. So I'm always putting that into my work, like just sort of by accident and naturally. Um, And I think it lends itself to exploring like this dynamic of um, still being on like the outside of society. Um, Their queerness is one aspect of their sort of otherness and it is taking place in the South and, you know, in America where queerness is still not super tolerated. Um, But also like their witch identity will also you know, is also causes problems and uh, that will become an issue. And yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, it will be metaphor and explicit at the same time. I had to pull it up because I'm going to quote you back to yourself. I'm so sorry. I can't help myself. So in an interview with Queerty, you said, quote, homophobia comes with the body count in trance, but it does too in real life. And any Republican politician pushing anti-LGBTQIA plus legislation has blood on their hands. Homophobia is violence. Transphobia is violence. And I'm curious if you have more to add to that. I know there's a, it's a much longer quote in Queerty, so I will, I, will, I will send folks to go read that as well. But I'm curious, you know, when we think about it, why, why take the face of a murder mystery about a serial killer who is stalking and ritually murdering gay men to, to explore that impact of homophobia and that body count? I think there's been a tendency to sort of um, ignore the homophobia in our current world in the last, like, I don't know, maybe decade or so, like ever since the rise of like Modern Family and Glee, which I think were so amazing and important. I think there has been sort of like this vibe in media that like, you know, now we just accept gay people and like everything is fine and dandy and, um, and I think like a lot of people sort of buy into that, like a lot of straight people, I think, buy into that, like there, that there isn't homophobia anymore. And I, and I, that never felt quite right or comfortable to me. Cause I was like, y'all hated us like a minute ago. I grew up, you hated us. I, I was terrified of being gay. And so, and now in the past year, we've seen a lot of Republicans and conservatives you know, bringing back sort of the explicitly gay, like explicitly homophobic and transphobic rhetoric um, that I think we used to see. And so, yeah, I kind of wanted to like put to light that there is homophobia and transphobia and like, and allow an entirely queer group of heroes to like be the ones who save the day and are the heroes of their own story. Um, even as, you know, they're, they're um, the victims, but being able to protect their community and come together as a chosen family, just like queer people have done many times over and save themselves and fight back against the bigotry and, and hatred in the world. I also like, if you, uh, sadly, if you Google Grinder in like the news, uh, there's almost always, you probably don't have to click many pages back to like find a terrible story about violence on that app and so like you know it's always been there and it's like always lurking and it's always you know been scary uh to me and i yeah i wanted i wanted queer people to be the hero of that own um story 
Right. Because like the response to that is always like, well, you shouldn't have been single and trying to date. <laughs> Like, it's like, that's the way that like yeah. the, the general consensus is, or if you watch movies, right. From like back in the seventies or something, it'll always be that kind of message where it's just like, well, right. it's like, if only you just kept it in your pants, like you wouldn't be dead. <laughs> I mean, there's also that element, like the mix of like sexuality and like horror and like has always appealed to me again, like as someone like who grew up with so much shame around their sexuality, like being able to play in the world of like a thriller slasher. Um, and, uh, and like bringing sort of sex into that, you know, straight people have, have all these different movies and media where, you know, they get to explore that. And so I definitely, yeah, it's been one of my favorite genres is that sort of spooky, sexy mix. And so I did want to bring gay it up. Yeah, I was thinking about kind of the line that you walk between like utter kind of like the serial killer, like the depravity of that, and then kind of how funny <laughs> queer people are, I guess. And just having this like this kind of perfect balance, I guess, between the horror and the humor. And SE is really good at writing horror and humor together. I don't know if I always am, so I'm always like a little bit fascinated whenever I see it in action and see it done well. So I was curious if you had any thoughts about, you know, the I guess the importance not just of the horror, but like of the fact that, you know, kind of the humor that kind of carries, I think, queer people through so many horrible things. Totally. I mean, I do think queer people are generally, like, pretty funny or at least, like, rely on humor to get them through. Um, yeah, growing up, I think I relied on, like, escaping into fantasy worlds and also comedy <laughs> to, like, yeah, to sort of shield myself from, like, the world. So I also have always been drawn to stories where... Um, especially like supernatural stories where like uh, someone who like shouldn't be caught up in this is, you know, it's not like this prepared, like Jason Bourne, you know, whatever the perfect person to like take on the spies, whatever. So it's just like, these are like gay people who like love to party and like go to the club and like drag Queens and go, go boys. And like, what would it be like if they were caught up in this supernatural mystery that just is so funny to me inherently um and yeah I wanted the humor to just come from like queer people's personalities and like they're just making jokes to each other or whatever they're um I think it is a hard balance in a lot of media and I um am glad that you say the balance is right in here because <laughs> I I uh I I definitely have seen it done poorly where I'm like okay like horrible things are happening like right. why are you making a joke and I don't think I don't think that's like what's happening here necessarily I feel like it feels more grounded and authentic but yeah I think just to capture like the queer world like comedy is just such a part of that especially with a drag queen lead like Kisasi. <laughs> I was thinking too about the the kind of presence of nightclub and nightlife and how you know, it's like it's it's kind of a trope in a way because you have so many different medias like the series Lucifer or something, you know, things that are like set in a bar, you know, and the bar is kind of mm -hmm. the place where everybody interacts and how like, kind of that, you know, all of the action comes out of this bar. Right. But a lot of times I still think I wouldn't say this of Lucifer, but I would say of a lot of shows like it still has like a fairly like conservative leaning kind of view of sex and, you know, um, hookups and stuff. Cause you'll see people who are like, you know, it's, it's one extreme or the other, I think basically. And so I think it's interesting. This trance reminded me a little bit of the comic 
safe sex that has the dirty mind as being this kind of space where all of you the stories. You knew I was thinking the same thing, Sarah. <laughs> well, I'm curious, it. right? Because like, and maybe you can add to this too, Essie, because I mean, I it's like, I don't actually have what I would consider to be like a solid question on this, but I just want to talk about this because I was thinking about how it it's almost like bars kind of serve these different um like different functions and different stories and for queer people we're starting to see these you know like people are actually kind of doing stories where it's like but look at how important this is to us as a community right um and i i always think that there's kind of a difference between that and like the other portrayals i've seen of bars and clubs so i'm just i'm just curious i guess what everybody has to say about that you know, I was also, as you were talking, Sarah, I was thinking about Doom Patrol and Danny the Street. Right. And I think that's a good example because in some ways it feels to me like like the clubs are characters too. They they impact the story, the plot, how it goes. I think in queer narratives, that's a piece of it. But that's, I, I again, I'm sort of, I'm, you can't see me, but I'm kind of groping as if someone has large <laughs> breasts in front of me, like trying to like make something of it. So I don't know, Joey, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think queer spaces are so important and that's definitely like a part of this story. I wanted the queer bar to like feel like, yeah, like its own sort of character and it's this home base to this like chosen family of queer people. Like nightlife has been such a big part of my queer like sort of life. And I remember like the first summer of like being out and like going to gay bars, like how fucking awesome and magical it felt to like be in those places and spaces and like be able to be so authentically yourself and feel so safe there and I think it's so important that we have those safe spaces um and you know there was some data like several years ago about like queer there being like less gay bars like gay bars kept like closing I don't Mm -hmm. really know what the trend is right now but that just made me very sad and like I think that we need them and I hope we don't ever lose them. And so, you know, I mean, it's the same with like the app in the comic book where like, this should also be a safe space and like there's murders happening on it. Um, want Like I want like the, the community building of like that gay bar to like feel like, yeah, we need this. Plus in like, it's the comic takes place in Savannah, Georgia. And in so many places like that, it's like, there are, there's like one gay bar or like one main queer club that like people come from like all over to to like counties over to like have their night in this bar where they can like finally be themselves. And, you know, maybe in their town, there's like really not something like that. So I just, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's so crucial to like celebrate those spaces and, and all the sexuality that also comes from it. Like, you know, I'm very, I'm very sex positive and, I I uh, want, yeah, I want to celebrate, like, queer sexuality specifically. And, you know, it, a lot of fun and sexiness can come from a night out in a bar like trance. Absolutely. And, you know, I think sexy is a good time to start talking a little bit about the actual art. There's this just, oh, just sizzling, sexy art. Illustrations by Pablo Collar. Colors by Collar. Julio Collar, thank you. And... Colors by Julio Rojas and letters by Juan Torres, which is so cool. An amazing team of people, it seems like. And it, it just is so, the art's incredible. I, I, I'm curious for you as the writer, 
you know, you've talked about writing in TV. What was it like to send those that script out and then to see these pages come back, to see your characters in full living color? It was so awesome. I will say it was, I was so excited the entire process. Like, um, I, first of all, I think Pablo Collar is so deeply talented. And oh my so, God, come on. I feel so lucky that, um, he was available and excited to do the project. Um, I also like when he signed up, I like had no idea that he was also queer, which he is. And that's also awesome. <laughs> but is it just like worked out beautifully, but yeah, sending the pages, I would like send him like five pages at a time usually and like then get them back. And it just felt like Christmas morning. Every single time I got an email, like seeing his name pop up in my inbox, just like made me so happy because I knew I was about to like see some gorgeous art. Um, yeah, it was magical and, and obviously moved so much faster than television. So it it was just so cool to be like, you know, send this thing. And a couple of days later, like it really, it like exists in the world. No, I'm like gaping at it literally as we're talking. Um, I read it and was like, ah, oh, this art is beautiful. And then it's one where it's like, the longer you look at it, the more you're just like, I should just, do I have anywhere to be? I could just stare at this. I feel because <laughs> like. the crowd scenes, right? Like those, like the party scenes to me are just like, chef's kiss, top notch. Like, it's really hard to pull off a party that feels like a party in a comic, right? Because, um, well, you're sitting by yourself in a nice comfy chair and, you know, probably not listening <laughs> yeah. to dance music usually. Um, so it's not, it's not the easiest thing. And it takes a very talented creative team, I think, to pull that into life. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what, when I look at this, I'm like, this looks like the best party, right? Like, so I did, was that something that you were really intentional about whenever you were talking when there was back and forth between oh, you yeah, and the artists? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, the art it, overall, yeah, is super, super intentional, well thought out, I would say. Like, we, we I, I made extensive uh, sort of, like, uh, documents with, like, what I wanted things to look like and, like, use, like, other comic books and other and like film stills and stuff to like show mm -hmm. what I wanted, but also like Pablo uh, as part of his portfolio that I was like reviewing when I was like trying to find an artist. Um, he had like a, he had a scene. I remember he had this cool scene at the bar. Um, I don't remember which comic it was from of his. Um, and he had like a cool scene at the bar and he had like this really like creepy scene in the woods. And I was like, that's it. Like this guy can do, <laughs> can do trans. Like I need those two. I need the, cool bar and I need creepy and he can do both of them but yeah I definitely and we got both in trance of like yeah we did I sent a lot of like stills from like I don't know euphoria and like uh that movie like closer where Natalie Portman is like a stripper okay um and just like yeah really fun bar scenes that I love but yeah he I love how all the characters in the bar look queer and like are yeah it's it just feels like a real fun space like I want to be at that bar ASAP and for the sex positivity it feels like it's only you know in my mind it's only Pablo who could have made this who could have brought this beautiful you know the the beautiful dicks to the the panels and, and the beautiful <laughs> you know the the wigs and the taking the wig off and the sex scenes and the thrusting and the all the things that make queer sexuality is so fucking empowering and cool and normal and gross and every other piece <laughs> that it is. And it's all there in a way that says like, no, we don't have to 
be afraid to look at this. We don't have to be afraid to put this on the page. Like sex positivity for me, at least, is as much about like it's sex. It it is a thing that happens as it is about like, yay, sex is great. You know what I mean? And I, I feel that on the page here. I love that you said that. And thank you. I think, yeah, it was definitely like an in, really intentional to make it feel like just this is life. Like sex is in life. Like sex is in the comic book. Like and and to make it not seem like sort of like graphic or anything, just like natural and normal. And uh, yeah, I think Pablo did such a good job with that. And the, uh, the other, everyone does have very big dicks, I will say. <laughs> like it does seem like it, but you know what? I don't are, know. You, you know, there are, <laughs> those big dicks do exist, but uh, there are quite a few in trans. Um, that was, I also like, uh, I remember just like, giving notes to um, Pablo on like different like drafts of pages. And like, I was just like cracking up to myself because I would literally be like, Hey, like, can we actually make his dick like cut instead of uncut? Like (laughs) just like giving notes on like someone's (laughs) penis and like the position someone was like having sex in, like really tickled me. And um, I was like, I'm so happy I'm getting to do this right now. Especially with another queer person. Cause the vibe is, is on there. I feel like you get it. In a way that totally. maybe it'd be harder with a, a straight artist. I don't know. Totally. I was like, I, I remember this one email. I'm like, I'm about to send you like a bunch of pictures of like from porn. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is like just FYI, like you're going to see some pics, but yeah, obviously. Well, and that's mind. consent, right? That's caring <laughs> about your co-creator and saying, hey, brace yourself. It'd be much different just opening your email and being like, well, my, 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 Joey, what is going on? <laughs> Um, that being said, like, listeners, it's not just a sex comic. <laughs> it's <really laughs> a mystery. There just happens to be some sex. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, actually, one of the things I want to talk about is something that I also think of as very distinct to LGBTQIA plus communities, which is Alter is the main character. She's a drag queen. She, to me at least, reads as trans feminine. She is very much okay with who she is. And... She's also pissed off at her ex who cheated on her. And that's where the story starts. But then as it goes, Theo, the ex, is missing. And it's only Alter who is searching for Theo. And so even though she's fucking livid with him, she's not abandoning him even after a breakup when he really hurt her. And I I just, I really love that because I think that queer people and our exes, I mean, one of Sarah's exes like works on the pod on a regular basis. Yeah, to be fair, great working partnership. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because Kate's the fucking tits. Um, okay. Uh, but it does, you know, there is this way that exes aren't the same as they are for, I think, a lot of cishet folks. Now, hey, do I have some exes I would never talk to again? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. And uh, they don't know my number. <laughs> Actually, fuck, they might. Oh, no. You know what? That's, <laughs> I want to worry about that later. This is um, revelations right now. I'm all, God damn it. Like, oh, I've had no. the same phone number. <laughs> and now really I'm worrying about that. <laughs> I'm like, hold on. Um, yeah, but you know, this this feeling of like exes aren't your enemy. I don't right? know, they're not garbage. They're 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 a piece of you. And so I'm I'm so curious, you know, why is it that we love stories about exes? What, <laughs> what do you think, Joey? And then what is it about queer people that our exes may be assholes, but we're still gonna fight for them against systemic oppression and like serial killers too? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um 
I hope everyone this fights serial killers for everybody. But yeah, there's <laughs> I think that like you're you're really on to something. Like there is we because our exes are part of our like found family and obviously there isn't like this gender dynamic where it's like okay like straight to straight people like maybe they're just like you know not friends with people of the other gender or whatever and uh and so they're you know it's just not the same or like even when they were dating they maybe like had different friends or whatever but I feel like queer people like they're romantic partners are so like integrated into their lives and their friend groups. And, you know, there is so much more blurriness there. And so, you know, I feel like every queer friend group is made up of like, like multiple people have hooked up at least or dated like amidst their friend group, you know, there's the, there's exes abound. Um, And yeah, I think that is a really awesome thing about queer people. I think that, um, yeah, we're just so free of like all these different, like, stupid rules that um, a lot of the other world um, like sort of follows. But I also think like, I don't know, for me, like I, when I started writing this, I was going through a breakup and not over my ex. And that was definitely like a big component. Um, Obviously I put that into the character. Um, I think breakups are just so hard and so brutal. And it's so hard to like lose someone that you really love and, you know, alters in the very beginning stages of that breakup too, where it's like, you know, yes, alter was really hurt, but you know, that doesn't erase like all the good things that was, were there also. So I think it's, it's just like fun to explore as a cat for characters to that like conflict of emotion and like, what would you do for someone even if when they hurt you? Um, yeah. Yeah. The idea that compassion isn't limited to those who treat us with dignity and respect. I think that's actually really not a concept that a lot of, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, I'm going to say a lot of especially white cishet people don't really think about that. Don't really think about what does it mean to have compassion for someone who might wish you ill? What does it mean to to fight mm-hmm. for the rights of people who might not fight for yours? I, I, that's, I don't know, man, I sit and think about that a lot. I'm like trying to fall asleep at night and I'm like, God damn, <laughs> we could get a lot more done if we could see this solidarity across, <laughs> I across <mean>. groups. <laughs> totally. I know. I, I I agree. I mean, that's X-Men for you. They're like fighting to like save the people who hate them, you know, and <laughs> who hates oh, and fears X-Men. us. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. don't forget the fear part, because I do think that people do get really scared of queer people. Right. In this way, that's like Absolutely. just always totally. kind of funny because it's like I, I remember meeting a guy who like he like refused to wear a pink shirt. He was like, no. And it was just like, what do you think <sighs> happens? What happens if you wear a pink shirt? (laughs) Yeah, what will happen? Does that, will you literally put on a pink shirt and become a gay man? Is that going to happen to you? Like, it's just wild because it's like, there is this like, it's so scary to think out of like those kind of like binaries, I guess, right? For a lot of people. Right. That's what, that's what X-Men is. There's just (laughs) such a fragility. Yeah, they're just so fragile at like, I don't, I I feel so happy and lucky to be queer and like just, yeah, free of all that bullshit. Just get to like think completely outside those binaries and live how I want to live and not 
worry about like, oh, does this like follow the rules yeah. like of how I'm supposed to be? Like, is this for boys or girls? Like, what the hell even is that? A pink <laughs> shirt? That's so insane. It's like, oh, I can actually wear any color of shirt and it doesn't matter. <laughs> like nothing happened. I didn't perf- like fundamentally change as a person because of it. Well, I also think like just like queer. I mean, I believe that like people are generally kind of bi or like definitely on this sort of spectrum of sexuality and so I you know probably a lot of it comes from fear of like their own like gay thoughts or whatever they're like I you know part of me is more feminine part of me is more is maybe a little interested in kissing someone of my same sex or whatever and so it's like they're just so scared that like if they like even look in that direction like they all suddenly like fall down a pit into and become a drag queen, which, you know, I wish. <laughs> it's like the best thing that could happen. They need to calm down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's great. It's really great. We've had conversations with people who have played uh, scenes that are like at a drag brunch or incorporate like these kind of just like a larger, as we were talking earlier, like there's these kind of moments where queer community matters in this way that you just, there's just a bunch of queer people present. And um, speaking as somebody who's in a very rural community (laughs) right now, like there, there isn't really those groups. Right. And so I'm kind of curious, I guess, how, how it plays out for you, because I think that, as you said, I remember first going to um, like gay bars or whatever and being like, oh, like, cool, other (laughs) people who are queer. Or, like, I don't feel like somebody is going to, like, beat me up right now or whatever. But it's, like, you kind of have... There's still places where that's, like, you can't do that, right? Like, there's... It's kind And I was thinking, too, like, any story I've seen that's kind of, like, a murder mystery is, like, there. it relies on isolation in a way. Like, you have to be isolated for these attacks to occur and things like that. And, like, there's kind of this feeling of, like, preying on people when they're alone, right? And so I always am kind of curious, like, obviously queer community means a lot. You know, it's like that's something that I think comes up for a lot of queer people. But then it's like there there are these kind of scary places otherwise that we have to navigate, right? Queer, like, togetherness makes everybody a lot stronger, right? But then it's like a lot of times we end up having to navigate, like, a lot of kind of scarier spaces by ourselves, Right. And so I guess like, it's just kind of my question is, do you feel like there was a reflection of that kind of reality in the story whenever you were writing it? Like, were you thinking about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was definitely like, yeah, if outside of our safe spaces, like it's not, that's the reason they're called safe spaces. It's like, otherwise, like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel safe all the time. Even living in big cities, like, Uh, I know queer people who've been sort of attacked. I I actually was like chased by some guy in LA, like on a run one time, like yelling the F word at me. And like, it was like, so uh, yeah, I think you're totally right. Like, um, and that's the reason why those spaces are so important and why like found family and like being amongst queer people is so freeing and important. But yeah, I think that there's so much of the world that isn't, safe for queer people the violence against queer people is higher than it is against like cis people and straight people so um yeah that's that's definitely a part of it there is it's not always safe and that fucking sucks 
Well, and there are varying levels of unsafe, right? There's the unsafe of verbal harassment. There's the unsafe of a serial killer in trans. There's also mm-hmm. the unsafe of another piece of what happens in trans that I found personally really moving, which is there is some re- religious right graffiti done to the club. And it's a, you know, it, it shows a, what we will assume is a woman and a man holding the hands of a child and underneath says, Jesus saves. And I'm curious, you know, and then we go into the church, we sort of highlight that conflict through, sorry, like checking her name, Sika, who owns the bar, who is formerly a member of that church community, goes in with Martes and Miércoles, the twins, and they sort of confront this, this pastor who is running this community. And I'm curious for you, you know, in, in that, in portraying that sort of other line of tension that is happening mm-hmm. in their lives. What is it that you wanted to get into? And, you know, what is it about the varying levels of unsafeness that we have to actually consider when we talk about LGBTQIA communities? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Like, I think that for sure, like the the serial killer aspect is obviously more heightened, more comic book vibes. Um, and even though obviously serial killers do exist, uh, it's something that we do more frequently have to deal with is homophobia in various forms, whether it's like explicit or a bit, a bit like more implicit and shady. And I think that like the living, yeah, living in this country, like we are just neighbors with people who don't necessarily like us and living in the South, like that's definitely so much a part of, daily life and so yeah to like tell this story about this queer bar even outside of like the witchiness and everything like this is something that sort of like queer people and like queer bars and are like people dealing with this um like i i love the series we are here on hbo i think they do a really amazing job of like showing sort of like that the tension between neighbors and like queer people that live in like more rural or less like liberal areas um yeah i think also like growing up for me the church like fucked me up i really i really it really taught me to sort of hate myself and hate my queerness and so i did want to sort of make the church um some level of villain in this story because they have been a villain in my life and they are in the lives of many queer people. I was going to say, they made themselves the villain. They made themselves the villain. That's right. They decided that they are our enemy. Yeah, you know, I think too, there's something we've been talking about a lot and I don't think I'm done with the conversation about the, the religious aspect, but we'll see if a question comes back to me. But I am thinking about the rural queers aspect and um, you know, Sarah and I have both left more populated places to live more rurally, not because that's the greatest dreams of our heart, but because money. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and for me, I'm in a great position and I get to buy a house. So there is some things that would be out of my reach awesome. in the city that I can reach in the country, which feels really amazing. Um, but this idea that like, you know, rural queers are so isolated, rural queers aren't accepted. Some of that is absolutely true, right? We, I think we've all talked about living in places where that is the case. But I even just saw an article from a couple of days ago that I think is kind of all over the big headlines about a gay couple that's been running a restaurant in Virginia for a very long time and in, in a rural place and nobody gave a shit. They were like, cool. 
And then some new, very conservative neighbors moved in and they've been putting like dead rats on their lawn and like harassing the shit out of these gay people, but they aren't even from there. And so there's this, this interesting tension or not even interesting, this fucked up tension of like, you know, how unaccepting are rural environments and, and how much is it just very fucking loud people who are, who are making lives harder for LGBTQIA plus people in the world. I know totally. that we have a lot of listeners who are rural queers who they, they write us awesome notes and they ask mm -hmm. questions about, you know, different comics and what have you. And I've learned a lot of resilience from learning about their lives. I had so much fear of moving to a rural place as a queer person, as a person who is in a relationship with a trans feminine person who doesn't pass. That That is, it's scary. I mean, the other day we were at a fucking, you know, convenience store getting I don't even know something for our dogs I think and and she was like I'm gonna go in in my dress and I was like yes great and inside my head I was having a panic attack I was like what am I gonna do like what ha what do I do if something happens I'm not even with her in the store because I'm stuck in the fucking car with the dogs because we're moving cross-country and I'm like what what's the next thing what happens here and I couldn't I felt that it wasn't even appropriate for it to be my place to share my fear because I knew that would undermine her confidence. And the last thing I want to do is make her afraid to wear a dress. She should feel free to wear that dress. She should feel empowered. There were not a lot of negative experiences. A couple of older folks turned their heads weird, but a couple of younger folks like made sure to be like, I love your hair. I love your dress. So, you know, mixed bag. But I think that is what it is to be a rural queer is, is that mixed bag. It is that Yes, gay people, trans people have lived everywhere for fucking ever. We're everywhere. And we have these communities and groups we can come to, like trance, like here in, in rural Vermont. There's Babe's Bar in uh, Bethel. You know, there are these places we can come together, but we're also dispersed everywhere. And so I don't, I don't even know what the question is, but I guess I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, what does it mean to be representing rural, queer, and trans people, you know, at a time when you're not living in a rural place? And, and what did you draw on to, to tease out those, those solidarities and those tensions? Yeah, totally. I mean, I definitely, like, yeah, I definitely think that, yeah, obviously there are queer people everywhere. And, and I think in those rural, more isolated places or less, like, populated places, like, community matters even more there and um finding other people like you there's a bit more it's more it breeds a more of like a tight-knit community whenever you're anybody who is sort of like you know a minority group uh in a larger more homogenous population like you're gonna gravitate toward and like hold more closely to the people that are like you i i went to Duke University only freshman year because then I transferred, but it was, it was not a super queer place. And, or like, even like that, like, I don't know, there, there was definitely like a vibe of like the mainstream culture there. And so like all of us who were like, not that like really, I think we're really, I think tight knit because of that. And like all hung out at this one bar wasn't a queer bar, but it was like definitely like the queerest bar. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I definitely drew upon that. And also, like, growing up, like, in New Jersey, like, obviously it's not, like, the South, but, like, my town was definitely, is still, I think, pretty sort of, like, homophobic or just, like, yeah, not super 
welcoming to like people who are different, especially I think when it comes to like gender presenting. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, even though I live in LA now, I definitely know what it's like to like feel that unease and that tension. And, you know, I've traveled a lot and like definitely have felt it. And even here, even in big cities like LA or like when I was living in New York too, like it's, I didn't feel comfortable all the time, like, um, being outwardly queer. And I like hate that. And I like always wanted to be like confident and unabashedly queer and gay, like no matter where I was, but there were definitely times when that, you know, made me sweat a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think that that's definitely a, just a part of life and something that I wanted like these, these people in this town to like, yeah, be confronting. I mean, part of this, part of trance to me is like the power of like unabashed queerness in the face of homophobia, like, like you said, like Alter is this fabulous drag queen, trans feminine, gender queer person. And like the idea, and, and like they're the ones fighting um, the homophobia and the, and the serial killer. And so I, I wanted that to be a part of it. Like these, these witches are so themselves and they have been in so many ways in their lives. And like, yeah. I, I think that's the only way to sort of defeat that is to just like be visible and be yourself and like stand up for yourself and not run and hide. And it's really hard and scary sometimes, but it's like, that's the only way. And to your point, like, I think the way that I think that conservatives right now are really using queerness and transness as like a scapegoat. And there's mm -hmm. so much more rhetoric out there that is explicitly anti-queer and anti-trans and people are getting tricked into believing that we're evil or something. And so it, I think that it will eventually pass. Um, but I think it's a, a, I think it's a response to the level of acceptance um, and visibility that we've gained so much in the last 10, 15 years. Like it's because we are here and we are living openly and out lives and we are so much more visible and so many more people are fucking chill with that. Um, and there you have these dumb minority of people that are leaving dead things on the restaurant's doorstep or yeah, doing graffiti you know, they're or loud and they're, they're loud and they're angry. And so sometimes it feels like there, there's so much more of them, but I, I do agree with you, Joey. I think the vast majority of cishet people, honestly, are just trying to fucking make it. Like, I think a lot, like, don't even care. Or if, you know, have a real understanding. You know, we know those stats are like, if you know a trans person, you're like, oh, my God, trans people are people. Oh, shocking. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's just like the polls that used to do about gay and lesbian folks. It's like, come on. Like, we know that this is real. And and you're right, there is so much fear being actively stoked on purpose to create this. And, you know, they are scapegoating. And it's it's hard. It's hard to be in the world. I, you know, my partner got called all kinds of slurs on our block in Denver. You know, it's I, just like there's no place that's safe from global climate disaster. I, I don't think there's a place that's safe from homophobia and transphobia. Not like a region. I think there are bars. No. I think yeah. there are corners of our world that we carve out for ourselves. and you know, I'll say it again, I think we have throughout history. No one's ever been able to erase us. They can sure as fuck try. They, they did. I mean, you know, how many times over have different fascist groups tried to erase queer and trans people? And it just doesn't fucking work. Right, because 
isn't isolation though like pretty much their only tactic right like they're always Mm -hmm. just like trying to like break up queer community or something like that Mm. and it's like but the thing with queer community right is is that it kind of stays with you in a way like pretty much no matter what you're doing so I was thinking about Mm. that a little bit and being like it's kind of their only tactic right (laughs) like to be like um you know just kind of to be divisive I think try to be divisive to queer people their, ta- their tactics are psychotic. I mean, the Ron DeSantis, like, is awful and terrifying. I mean, the idea that, like, of this, like, whole don't say gay thing, it's all terrible. And I think we all need to sort of just band together and live our lives proudly and be, and, and fight back, like, you know, like, <laughs> fight against, like, politicians and make sure that people know that, like, yeah, voting for conservative politicians is, like, literally voting against queer people and so if you have any conservatives in your family um tell them that if they love you they um have to um not vote oh Oh, that's real that's real you know i think i had a question originally that i was going to ask just specifically about the twins because i i think martes and miércoles are just such cool characters that we don't see much of in this first issue but i think it was actually a question more broadly about all of the characters, uh, including who's the twink I adore? Eden, uh, Sika, <laughs> Alter, Martis, Miraculous. I might be forgetting someone. Um, but, you know, they're just this in- incredible group of people. And I think the question actually was, you know, when we think about, and this is going to kind of take us full circle a little, so we'll see what we think. Uh, you know, it, is, <laughs> is what does it mean to be disempowered, right? Like when Alter goes to the cops, they decide Theo is the problem. Not that Theo needs help, but that, that Theo is the problem. And, you know, A cab, A. Uh, B, you know, <laughs> like there is this sense of like, oh, right, we have to use our powers to protect each other. And that's true, right? We, that's everything we've been talking about is we need each other. It's the LGBTQIA solidarity. It's fighting together. It's our allies coming in and having our backs. It's all those pieces. But what's so fun about trans is you tip the scale toward our heroes. You you make them witches. You give them unique, special powers. I find it so <laughs> cathartic to read because I think we do have special powers as LGBTQIA folks. And yes, do I wish it was telepathy? I do. I do wish it was telepathy. <laughs> or shape-shifting. Come on, Mystique. All the trans people deserve your powers. Send them to us. <laughs> um, you know, but I... I just want to talk a little bit about like what it is to give us that extra edge and to recognize the specialness, the shininess, the uniqueness of us and how that does allow us to persevere in the face of both systemic oppression and, you know, individualized violence and, you know, the religious trauma. And wow, you really packed it all in, Joey. You really packed it in. <laughs> um, you know, like what, it, why, why do we need, like, what is it that the superpowers specifically communicate? and what were you hoping to explore through giving, you know, giving our heroes just a little bit of an edge? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, like queer people are magic. Like there is such a supernatural, magical element to an amazing queer nightclub. Like, I, I honestly, there there is a great bar in Savannah called one, Bar One, I believe. And uh, I remember going there on a trip to Savannah and just like, everyone there was just like having the time of their lives and like the go-go dancers were incredible the drag queens were so 
awesome. And I was like, yeah, this is literally magic. Like it just fills you with such amazing energy that only comes from queer people, like being in a space where they can be themselves and celebrate themselves. And I think that that's so awesome and important. Plus, yeah, I think like in the face of all the hatred that we have in the world and all the bigotry and all the bullshit that we have to deal with and all the internalized homophobia that we have to grow up with and all the church crap, like, um, yeah, we fight back and we have been winning in so many ways. We have been winning our rights and our freedoms and our visibility. And I think like that takes a lot of strength and super strength. And I think that I wanted like these characters, yeah, to use the powers as sort of like metaphors for um, the powers of queer people. Um, and yeah, all their, all their superpowers are sort of like offshoots of their like personalities too. It's sort of like heightened versions of things that already exists in the real world. Like the drag queen has the power of illusion like they do in real life, basically. But now, you know, she can just project um, imaginary or snakes that aren't really there. But, um, you know, drag queens are totally transformative and totally, you know, um, illusory and awesome in that way. And we have Sika has like sort of um, more like of a clairvoyant vision power and you know she's sort of like the leader and like this sort of matriarch character and um yeah playing with that sort of like motherly instinct but in this like totally like butch mom version that we don't really see as like um mom or matriarch characters usually and uh and yeah eden's 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 um magical allure as the go-go boy people sort of falling under his spell and being able to uh, or him sort of being able to control people that are turned on by him. I think that is sort of something that happens with beautiful people in the world. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's just like a lot of fun to like explore all these different um, real life things, but like through this magical lens and being able to like use these powers and gifts eventually to sort of like fight evil and fight a serial killer um, and maybe maybe even demons along the way. And the twins, you know, all twins um, are actually and and are like telepathic, um, but they, uh, yeah. So the twins get to um, speak to each other uh, telepathically, which I do love them a lot. And uh, a lot of people, talk, a lot of people talk about them uh, after reading trans. That everyone's obsessed with the twins because they're so fucking cool. And like, I love too that we just the way that we find out who people are is through their life. I, I don't know how else to say that, but it's not like you're like, and I'm non-binary. You know, you don't have to have <laughs> like, like, hey, is there a place for that? Is explicit important? Absolutely. Uh, but again, because you're not doing an all ages comic, you can show it explicitly in a different way. But I'm, And I, you know, I really appreciate that because, you know, I, I remember I've read it two or three times now I've read trance and I missed the first two times that they have a trans flag in their room. And I was like, Oh shit. Duh. And I was like, I don't even know. I don't even know which way or any way or what, you know what I mean? I don't know what kind of flavor of trans they are and I don't need to, at least at this point in the issue, you know, maybe in future issues we get into it, but that is such a fun way of just like, yeah, we would have a pride flag in our room. That's yeah. normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. No, the twins are trans. 
both trans and uh but yeah it's not it's not explicitly said in the book at this point but yeah um i, I we actually i i'm developing i have a some producers attached to like develop this as a tv series and so hopefully one day so that will happen or someone will buy it and whatever we'll be able to see trans on um on tv which would be dope but it's been really cool like being able to like look for actors that are trans and non-binary and like you know it's there's so few um there's so few stories of 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 queer people like even being told so being able to like get to see these people and these actors and these characters in like a in a supernatural genre show is just like so exciting and uh hopefully hopefully that can happen hello listeners as you know our society is built on capitalism among many other fucked up things. But you can help us for as little capitalism as we can make happen, which is you can rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us five stars. Say something cute about how fucking great we are. And you know what? You're going to help us with a little bit of time, but not any money. Again, rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us five stars, babies. We love you. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know how you're doing this every time, but you're just, you are segueing. You're like, okay, now we're going to go to this. And I'm like, that's what I was going to ask next. So (laughs) you're on it. You know what? You can just take it from here. Just kidding. Um, So, you know, on, on that on that note, you actually just recently had the honor of being put on the out loud list for your uh, it's your unproduced TV pilot adaptation of trance, which is called Hex in this case. And I was yeah. curious, you know, when you think about Hex and trance and and what you're doing in the comics, what you're doing on screen, you know, what is it you can do in the comics that is either harder or uh, impossible to pull off on screen? And is there a counter to that, something that you can pull off on screen that's much harder in comics? Well, I think comics are so awesome because there's like really no limit to sort of the magical and supernatural elements and like visual elements. Um, I mean, the limits are only just what can your artist um, draw. (laughs) And so you really can just like fully explore your imagination and like you don't have to rely on like 
how much will this special effects cost or something like that? And so like, you don't have to like run into like any issues of like being like, Oh, that kind of looked cheesy. Or we just like don't have the budget to like make a snake like appear out of thin air or something. So that is really fun and freeing. And I think why comics are just so, so cool because you get to really some, you just get to go all in on whatever your idea is. So you don't have to worry about anything like budgets. So that is really dope. I think one thing that a TV version of trance will be able to capture that the comic necessarily couldn't would just be like the performance, the performance aspects of the nightlife and like of alters drag shows or whatever, like being able to like sort of incorporate music and like performance into this world. Like obviously like nightlife, you know, music is such an important part of that. And so, and with drag and, yeah so just like being able to like see that in real time and also sort of like capture like emotion the characters sort of emotions like through their performances um is would be something really cool to see on screen amazing i'm i'm very excited uh you know talking about the screen obviously we were in the midst of a historical strike we have the writers guild of america and the screen actors guild of america that are both on strike at the same time, first time since the 60s, I believe that's happened. And mm-hmm. I know a little bit before we started recording, I was like, wait, are you in WGA? And, and you had said you weren't, but that you are picketing. So I was curious from your perspective as a, you know, a writer who's breaking through right now as someone who's on the picket line, you know, what do you want to share about the strike with our listeners and, and what might they not know about why it matters so much? Yeah, I mean, I think to summarize sort of like what is even going on, um, for listeners is basically like the, the business model, um, like streaming has changed the business and distribution model of TV and film uh, in such a dramatic way, obviously, as we all know in the last like 15 years. And, um, but basically like contracts and like how writers are paid and actors are paid hasn't really, um, changed enough so that they can sustain themselves and make a living under the new um sort of business models so even like while like these big business these big companies like profits have been historically high and like growing writers wages and actors are making less money than ever even though obviously it's their labor and their work that is making these companies rich and more profitable so yeah, the writers and actors are saying, no, you can't make more money off of us without, um, if you don't like share it with us in a fair way. And if we don't like sort of rewrite these contracts so that um, it makes more sense with the way things are distributed. One example of that is residuals, which is like both writers and actors like make money for their work, would historically like make, um, get paid out. Like if their work, their like, let's say like a TV show, that they wrote and or acted in. Um, if that was uh, basically like when they have reruns on TV, on traditional TV, like writers and actors would get paid for that. And that made it so that in between jobs, because a lot of these jobs are like only for a certain number of weeks at a time, in between jobs, you would still be getting paid because your work is still being distributed and people are still buying ads on it and people are still making money off of your work. So you would also get paid. And so now with streaming, the residual model just like doesn't really work the way that it's currently written. And people are just getting paid so much less, like 
bare, like barely anything and definitely not enough to sort of like survive and feed their families, things like that. And that's just like one of many issues. Another big one, especially one in like headlines is like artificial intelligence. And it's actually shocking to see how much they, these uh, big corporations are, um, yeah, <laughs> so willing and excited to use artificial intelligence and computers to replace humans and you think like in a creative industry like that wouldn't be that big of an issue but they are truly they don't they haven't even they the the corporations wouldn't even talk about ai in the negotiations like they're so on board with using it um to to yeah for for acting like for background actors and and things like that and like you record and like using like ai models to like basically like save people's voices and like use them in the future without like paying, paying those actors. Um, and also, yeah, taking away like certain like writing jobs basically so that they like can do like a first draft of the script or something, uh, via computer. It's all so dumb because I'm like, none of this will be good. None of this will work. (laughs) But like, they are really all in, but it's also scary because it's like, yeah, like, what about, like, non-creative industries? Like, corporations are coming after workers in a major yeah. way. And I think, yeah, like, are. this is just, like, part of, like, the labor movement in general in this country. Like, corporations all over, whether they're writers or actors or more blue-collar workers, or just, like, workers all over this uh, nation and world, like, corporations are, like, selling out their workers and really, like, screwing us over in so many different ways, especially um yeah right now so it's it's really it's really wild it's really wild to see that fran drescher is like now the face of the american labor movement but <laughs> honestly her speech was incredible and so she, good um yeah she's, she's well and she, she held it down and the nanny you know there's that whole storyline where she won't cross a picket line because she's fucking real as shit you know it's like that's the I thing is it. i think i think there's this this instinct for a lot of people who are in dire straits who are like, I don't make any money. They're like actors. You mean those millionaires? Yeah. <laughs> actors. You mean totally. writers? You like, mean oh. those? And it's like, y'all, that's right. not the fuck. That's not how it is. That's so there ridiculous. Like ha- there are a handful of both actors and writers who obviously make a lot of money, but this, but this, these, these contracts aren't even, this is fighting for minimums. So this is fighting for like what, like literally the minimum amount that um, a writer or actor would get paid for a job. Like that's basically what we're fighting for. We're fighting for the people that are sort of at the bottom of the situation and being able to make a living um, at lower levels. And like, you know, what if you're not Ryan Murphy or if you're not Kate <laughs> Blanchett, like, can you yeah, still like, listen. like feed a family and afford to like live in LA, which is so expensive, but like you this is where like they're filming things and this is where they like expect you to live. And then it's, it's truly insane. It was kind of funny to me because they started trying to call out like Ron Perlman or whatever and being like, well, he's worth $8 million. And it's like, even that just draws attention to how messed up everything is because it's like, that man is like a national hero. Like, you know, that is a like, household name. That is a household him. fucking he's been name. In every movie, and he's only worth $8 million, which, just in case you need to know how much a, a CEO makes every year more than that, like a CEO makes that in the first three months of the year. So exactly. the fact that this person has been working, you know, his entire life 
and is like yeah, about like the, the highest. Like forty million dollars a year or something, and and sometimes like I think it's twenty four million before. Yeah, yeah, like before bonuses yeah, with, like, is the thing. Bonuses, yes, it's exactly. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Insane. And what do they get it's bonuses so for? They get bonuses for fucking firing people. Yeah, they get bonuses for fucking pulling fucking shows that people have worked their asses off on for years from streaming. They're getting bonuses for erasing content, erasing films and TV shows that we will never be able to find again because that shit doesn't exist in hard media. And it's fucking disgusting. (laughs) And I think that when people forget, when people forget that actors and writers are laborers, you forget that you're a fucking laborer, man. You have more in common with these actors and writers striking than any motherfucker in any fucking C-suite fucking place on this goddamn motherfucking (laughs) planet. I know. It's totally true. It's like... Sarah's just laughing at me. (laughs) Yeah, these are the the people. It's like people that are like coming out on Twitter and like speaking out at like... I don't know, like shitting on like the the strikes or whatever, being like y'all are just whining, like you get paid more than me, blah blah blah. I'm like, so why why are you like defending the CEOs? The people why shouldn't you get paid more? (laughs) Yeah, it's like you also deserve to get paid more. Like you also like deserve to not get screwed over by or replaced by AI. Like (laughs) this is like you like stand up for yourself. Like look in the mirror. Like this is important for everybody. Like, yeah, right now it's happening in the entertainment industry, but it's, it's every single industry. No, it is. I mean, UPS workers are strike about to strike. And it's like, you know, I saw a report that was like, Oh God, that's going to cost us a a billion dollars a month or what the fuck ever. And it's like, yeah, so compensate them. (laughs) What the fuck? Yeah. Like that's, that's how it works. And the like, well, CEOs are the ones doing it. Like, tell <laughs> yeah. them. Like, everybody gets mad at the laborers, and you're just like, the CEOs did it. Like, do you understand I how know. bad things had to get for TV writers to go on strike? Like, it's so bad. Like, have it, as somebody who is a writer, it's so bad <laughs> to be a writer right now. Like, yeah, I constantly terrible. am just so broke in a way that's just like, I don't even know. Like, I, it's like, how could you even be that broken how much you work, right? And it's literally yeah. just because, well, nobody paid your ass, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's just so kind much of unpaid work. Yeah, there's yeah. So, oh my God. so much labor that people were doing, writers are doing that totally doesn't get compensated at all. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like, it's, it's very, it's very hard. Everyone should support the strike. Yes. Everyone support the strike. Everyone support the strike. (laughs) Well, I was going to say everybody should stop shilling for billionaires because that's completely pathetic. But that's (laughs) my end thoughts, I guess. It's like because people keep presenting being against actors and artists as being this kind of like, like, oh, this is the edgy, like free thinking stance. And it's just like, yeah, being a shill for a billionaire. How edgy. How cool of you. <laughs> like, oh it's my just God, so right? ridiculous. But I would like to see yeah, an well, end of like, that. Bob Iger like has like a net worth of like, I don't know, $700 million. Like, I don't even, what do you even do with all of that money? Like, <laughs> it's so crazy. Like, this it's is nice. not a guy to defend. Like, they shouldn't even have this much money. No, it's fucking sick. And they wouldn't have if we hadn't rolled back a fuck ton of policies over the last 30 fucking years. Right, That's the other piece. <laughs> Systemic. It's all, it's all systemic. Wake yeah, up. It's really crazy. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> Makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> oh my god. Um, well, I guess I have one last question. If 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 we're at that time, um, we are. One of the things I wanted to ask is I've been staring pretty much through this entire conversation, not bringing it up, but waiting to bring it up. The alternate cover for trance that has this incredible literal Dave Cockrum, uncanny X-Men, Jean Grey vibe, right? Um, and I'm I'm not sure, was it the same artist that worked on this cover? Yeah, it was. Pablo Coyar did that, did that cover also. I was pretty sure, but I wanted to be sure. And yeah, so this is a beautiful cover. Um, I was going to bring up that I've talked a lot about the Phoenix and I did an interview, uh, several interviews actually, with people about how Jean Grey and the Phoenix can be this kind of queer allegory and how, you know, Phoenix has this kind of special appeal to a lot of queer people. And I was just curious if you have any background of that. We've talked about X-Men. X-Men's come up maybe five or six times very casually in this conversation. (laughs) But I would love to hear, you know, kind of, you know, first of all, Dave Cockrum is like, to me, my favorite classic X-Men artist. So that image to me is just like absolutely the best to do an homage for. But do you see kind of, um, I guess, like an, a connection between the characters, like the Jean Grey and then Alter? I think there is sort of like this transformative, uh, transformative um, connection like obviously like Jean Grey like rises and becomes like a new entity and I think Alter as a drag queen sort of is does that every every night (laughs) you know becomes a new Mm. uh more powerful uh version of themselves when she's on stage performing and so yeah I think that there's definitely that connection and I think like yeah I mean Jean Grey and the Phoenix like are are so iconic I think for queer people because it is sort of like this like we will like rise again sort of vibe and also just like powerful women in general <laughs> you know queers we right. love that shit um and and Jean Grey being like yeah the, the most powerful um yeah <laughs> you know like the also, meme like, that cover is just so iconic uh and yeah I wanted to pay homage to the X-Men and I just feel like that's maybe like the X-Men cover that I like think of when I think of like classic X-Men covers Mm -hmm. yeah I I mean it's a good one well and I was gonna add that it's like Jean Grey and and queers loving Jean Grey is like that that meme that's like uh he was a great guy I loved him what about all the murders what murders like I feel like that's how the gays treat her like it's like she she killed the planet what murders (laughs) it's like the broccoli people were asking for it okay but like like, you'll you'll always come out in defensive gene but it's also like there's moments where you can't like there's moments where you're like okay but then it's like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, but that was the Phoenix. So like, it was the Phoenix right, that did right, that. Right. And we always think it's be, it'd be like really funny just to be like, oh, um, that was the Phoenix. <laughs> like, Me? every time I didn't goes murder wrong. anyone, it was the Phoenix. <laughs> it was the Phoenix. That's my new excuse. Uh, hey, uh, SE, you didn't turn in that essay on time. It was the Phoenix. I don't know I what to say. simply became fire and life incarnate for a moment. And therefore, <laughs> I could not reply to this email yeah. for six months. Could, yeah. Couldn't you feel that? Like, that was me. <laughs> that rumble you felt, that was me. I was telling you I wasn't going to get it in on time. You know, <laughs> normal stuff. 
Oh my god, that Joey! That one time, this gay told me that he caused the most recent LA earthquake. Well, he also said that he was a witch, which you know some of them are, and that he caused the most recent LA earthquake, and that was truly iconic. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Why? Why is the first question? follow up interview? <laughs> Yeah, you oh need to God. find that man. I don't. I don't know where he is. <laughs> if you call the LA earthquake, please email <laughs> us at <laughs> searching Long Beach for our next interview. It seems like a good thing to do next with my life. <laughs> Oh my God, Joey. Oh my God. This has been a treat. You are, you are so funny and interesting and you've brought so much beautiful queer energy to this conversation. Such a great way to bring me and Sarah back together. You didn't even know you were doing it and you brought us I back together. I love that I did that. Um, it thank is you just, so much. This has been so fun. Absolutely. No, no, no. Again, thank you. Thank you. Uh, if folks want to learn more about you and about trance, where can they find you online and where would you suggest they look for trance? Yeah. Okay. So you can find me at Joey Christmas on Instagram and also on Twitter. It's Joey Christmas, but the O is a zero. Um, Trance also has an Instagram at Trance Comic. It's also available um, at online um, on like Amazon and Barnes and Noble and like bookstores online. Some of your local comic book stores will have it. You can also call your comic book stores and ask them to get some copies um, if they don't have it. Um, and it's also available on Scout Comics website um, to, to purchase directly from the publisher. That the, That's also where you'll find the limited edition X-Men 101 homage cover. That one is only available on the Scout Comics website. Um, so yeah, it's Trance Comic. I'm Joey Capuana. My Instagram is Joey Christmas. Fantastic. If you didn't have a pen out, listeners, do not worry. Just hit the three dots next to the title of the show, and I will have put the links in there for you, and they'll be hyperlinked. All you got to do is click them. Woohoo! Happy to. I mean, Joey, geez, I don't know. Maybe write more comics, please. And also, maybe like write more TV shows, please, and then come back and then make them for my eyes, please. I would love that too. This is honestly. (laughs) well good keep up the good work you're kicking ass (laughs) as far as i'm concerned and i'm sure i'm the only authority you're looking for on this topic um no but seriously this has been honestly just really enriching too and and amazing to hear uh, you know from folks who are on the ground picketing so thank you for sharing your perspective there and for letting us rant very emphatically in support of you because (laughs) that should be everyone right now um yeah yeah. i mean i appreciate it we all 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 of us that are striking definitely appreciate it we want this to end as soon as possible but you know we need a fair deal before that can happen so um definitely support from everyone is so helpful and people want to support the strike directly there are funds online if you want to donate um because a lot of people are out of work right now um, so that goes to like, there's, there, there are funds that like, um, go to like support staff, um, and other, um, people that are affected by the strike, like production, film production mm-hmm. people who like are also out of work because, um, productions are shut down. So yeah, you can support in that way too. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much again, just one more time. This is exactly what I needed today. I love trance and I'm, I'm so excited that it's out in the world. Sarah. Oh, we're back together again. Who knows when it'll happen again? I swear at some point I will be done moving and oh. then life will retain some normalcy, I, mean, I hope. 
God bless, you know. <laughs> Sarah's like, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, uh, which I just, is also like, how I just feel. now put my clothes away and I moved in like March. So good luck. Yeah, yeah good luck to <laughs> me. Process. I wish myself all the best. Uh, yes, you're the best. Kate, as always, thank you for making us sound amazing and for cutting the times I forgot what I was saying. That was very thoughtful of you. If you didn't do it, then... Fuck you. Just kidding. <laughs> you have to leave that now, too. <laughs> Lost my goddamn mind. So I'm really, I'm getting warm in this room, y'all. Um, I also just want to thank all of our listeners, our patrons, Monica, our other hosts who can be here today. Love you. Uh, love all of you. I'm going to make the joke. I don't know why it's compulsive. It's like a stim. But we could be here without you, but it would be awkward. So thank you for tuning in. And I love you all. Hug each other. Hug yourselves. Go, go hug, hug your rabbits. Clear, <laughs> hug your rabbits, your little pets, whatever works, because you deserve to be loved. And I'm glad you're in the world. All right, y'all. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> you're listening to Bitches on Comics, distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at, at @bitchesoncomics and on Instagram at, at @bitchesoncomics. Our website is brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. probably heard the name Mary Queen of Scots and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like for instance did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language 
In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.